Hello and welcome to Movie Theater Time Machine. We're here in the lobby today enjoying ourselves and I've got a great guest and one I've been really dying to talk to for quite some time here. Screen legend Stanley Livingston here with me today. Stanley, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thank you for being a part of this. And I mean, I, <laughs> this is one of those that I got to tell you, like my dad is really super jealous with this one because he's like, he was one. If you ask him anything about old TV, you know, he's, he's on with it. And he's like, okay, this is great. This is good. I said, Stanley Livingston. And he fired off about 30 of your credits without even thinking. Oh, wow. So, well, he must be a big fan. <laughs> it's it's an understatement it's an understatement in general so i mean i want to jump in with a lot of stuff because looking through it i mean there's a lot of stuff you know myself only and the movie theater time machine fans are really really curious about and i want to start with um you know you have a long career as well so i mean starting with you know the beginning in 1958 you know when you started with everything is it is there a difference when between starting in show business then versus now? Oh yeah, yeah, great big business, uh, big difference. Uh, you know, the the business has expanded exponentially, and so has the number of people trying to get into it on every level, whether they're actors, cameramen, directors, producers, writers. Uh, you know, there's just so many channels. The era that I came out of, there were. Uh, Three networks. Uh, we had ABC, uh, CBS, and NBC. So they were the powerhouse on, t- you know, on TV. And then you had about five or six movie studios making all the movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's changed a lot. I mean, what are probably a thousand channels now, um, right. all, and all of them seemingly having nothing on that you would want to watch. So that's kind of curious. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, you know, the fact that there were less networks and less shows probably in a way made it easier to get in. And there was also a lot less people trying to do that. It just seems so out of reach for most people. If you didn't live in L.A., you know, I'm sure you didn't even give it a thought if you lived in Pea Ridge, Arkansas or something like right. I got to get into show business. We find an agent in Pea Ridge and get going. Um you know, uh, I lived in Hollywood, so uh, that that was a little bit in my favor. My parents moved to California about 1948. I came along in 1950, and, uh, you know, uh, we we just lucked out in, in the sense that my mom enrolled me in a swim school in Hollywood. Uh, she wanted me to know how to swim at a very young age, so as an infant, I went there, and by the time I was three years old, I was swimming diving off a high dive and uh, the lady that ran the pool was kind of very publicity oriented and she'd put these little shows together uh, utilizing all these little kids and infants and uh, we'd ride bicycles underwater and had a swing set underwater little cars and uh, she got a lot of the period magazines to come out and cover that vogue calls life look and the studio kind of got a reputation. So uh, Hollywood people started bringing their kids there to learn how to swim. And, you know, the, the kids of producers, agents, managers, directors wow. uh, started bringing their kids there. So kind of put me right in the position to be discovered. And, um, yeah, you know, that's exactly what happened. Uh, an agent 
And if she was kind of pestering my mom, you know, putting me in show business and thought I might make a great kid actor. And uh, I had the right qualities. You know, I was pretty extroverted and had blonde hair and looked pretty cute. So I guess she thought I had what it took in those days or what they were looking for. Um, you know, she made it clear that it wasn't going to be an easy path and you sort of still have to work your way into the industry. And yeah, my right. first jobs were as extras, you know, where, which I got to go on the job and, uh, you know, it'd be maybe four or five, 10 other kids there. And I was just one of those, but you know, you, you learn what the director wants and you do as you're told and hopefully you stand out a little bit and somebody calls you back again. So I, I did that for a while. And uh, then I did an Ozzy and Harriet episode. And I, again, I was hired as an extra, just one of about 10 kids. And the storyline was Ozzy Nelson was selling some Christmas trees in his backyard right. yeah. to make extra, extra money at Christmas time. And he's got a prospective client there. And lo and behold, here comes a group of little kids out. And we're all wearing uh, backpacks and sleeping bags. And I guess we were camping in his forest in the backyard. That was the joke. And uh, for whatever reason, Ozzy pulled me aside and asked me to say this line of dialogue. And, you know, he said, I want you to say this line. I'm going to put an X on the floor right here. And I want you to stop right when you get to that spot. Look at me and say the line. Don't look down at the tape. You know, you just have to figure out where it is, but don't look down. Just stay looking at me. Say the line and then go off that way. And so we shot it a couple of times. I did the line. He moved the camera a little closer and they shot it again. So I got my close up. And uh, at the end of the day, he, uh, you know, asked my mom to to leave our contact number with his secretary and said he wanted wow. to have me back. Yeah. So that's how really how, how the ball got rolling. And, uh, you know, about a month later, I was doing another episode. Uh, this was actually back in about 1957, not 58. And, um, yeah, so I, I got started because of having that line of dialogue. It allowed me to join the Screen Actors Guild. That's the demarcation point if you're an actor. If you have no lines, you're an extra. Right. Or maybe a, a featured extra. And if you have one line of, you know, dialogue, even if it's like, ouch, yeah. you're now on the Screen Actors Guild. So <laughs> my right. line was... Sure was a mighty good camping in there, Mr. Nelson. Anyway, I said that line and I never forgot it because it's what got me in the Screen Actors Guild and turned me from being a, an extra into a professional actor. And uh, so, yeah, from about 1957 to 1960, I, I did about 15, 20 on scene Harriet episodes. Uh, I started doing other TV shows as, you know, a little kid on them, just a guest part. Uh, I started doing movies. I did a film called uh, The Bonnie Parker Story, which was an early Bonnie and Clyde yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was made by American International Pictures, who later became you know, very famous for exploitation movies uh, that a lot of people got their break you know, because of, because of that. Um, and eventually Roger Corman kind of got embedded in there too, was producing and directing all the AIP movies and gave jobs to um, Jack Nicholson and um, who else? Uh, oh gosh, just pretty much all, all the directors that, that really got their start. Mark Scorsese. Uh, I'm just trying to think every, everybody out of that era probably did one or two American international pictures. Well, 
The one I did was the Bonnie Parker story. They also made another gangster movie called Machine Gun Kelly with Charles Bronson. Which is very and they were yeah, yeah they double yeah. built those together when they came yeah. out. I think it was nineteen fifty eight. It was a double feature. They, it was a double feature. Well, that's what really? a lot of the AIP movies were made yeah. primarily for drive-ins across America, and you know some places yeah. they would yeah they would do it yeah. in theater. They would have a double bill. Uh, yeah, when I ran in L.A., it was in the yeah. theater when my parents took me to see it. Unfortunately, Machine Gun Kelly was on first and i was only about you know seven years old so i didn't make oh, it I fell in my seat so i never got to see the bonnie parker story so ah. much much later oh man uh, yeah i've seen well, it since then i would but, imagine you know, it would be something like they had to make you wait in the lobby or something like that's first okay you sit here and when we when it's ready you go in <laughs> no no it's just they went oh, in no. to see both movies uh, not oh. knowing that the Bonnie Parker story was going to be second, so by the time that oh. rolled around, it was about ten o'clock at night, and you know, oh, my energy had, was gone, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I just passed out. Well, that happened to me a lot back in those days. You know, if you were in a movie uh, and it was on late, I, I didn't, you know, I'd fall asleep about nine o'clock. Yeah. So I just, yeah, a little kid. So. Yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, so I got going and yeah, I did another film called Rally Around the Boy, Flag Boys with Paul Newman, Joanne right. Woodward. Um, yeah. Did another one called uh, Please Don't Eat the Daisies with Doris Day and David Niven. The right. very popular film yeah. on, on TCM, you know, over the years has kind of got its second wind and yeah. actually probably is yeah. better known now than then. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, with things getting a second life, a lot of thing, a lot of people talk about it, and especially podcasts with kid actors doing things now, um, mm -hmm. especially the uh, the Boy Meets World podcast. They talk a lot about what it's like growing up, and one of the things that you know one fan was particularly curious about when you're on shows like you know doing My Three Sons when you were Chip or doing the movies did you have tutoring in between the scenes yeah that was you know since the beginning of uh, the movie industry really you know they they made sure that children got an education and the rule was that we had to get at least three out well we would get three hours of schooling per day and it didn't have to be all all at once meaning you sit there for three hours it just had to be in chunks of at least 15 minutes if it was before 15 minutes, they couldn't pull you out of the, you know, the little schoolroom they usually had on the sound mm. on the sound stage somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, from gosh, fourth grade or whatever I was when I first started being an actor till I was 18 years old, uh, I had uh, that tutor on the set. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I started working regularly, like with my three sons, where yeah. I'd work you know 10 months out of the year uh, from 1960 but I, yeah right and yeah. then i'd go back to public school uh yeah. in between yeah which was a little bit rigorous uh most kid actors went to a place called hollywood professional school which catered to young children in the industry and teenagers i, I think their schooling went from first grade through 12 and a lot of famous hollywood you know kids went there john provost from lassie and I think right. Paul Peterson went there. Uh, even David Marks from the Beach Boys went there. I was told. Yeah. So you know, they catered to that. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, <laughs> I don't know. It depends the way you look at it. My parents decided we weren't going to be with a bunch of Hollywood kids. You're going back to real school and real kids. So 
yeah. we go back to public school and get our asses kicked every year. <laughs> was there a jarring difference between that, you know, where it's like you get catered and you're doing three hours a day? I mean, was there memories of like, okay, you hit the fourth hour and you're like, oh my God. Well, there was the fourth hour. As soon, soon as you're through, teachers yeah. were good about keeping that time. And the second you had uh, accrued, yeah. you know, three hours, 180 minutes, yeah. you're done. Yeah. You know, and, you... and the studio, believe me, the assistant director was right outside the door waiting for that moment to happen. That oh, way yeah, they didn't yeah. have to wait for you to be in school. They could just, you know, yeah. work you till, till it was time to go home, which was generally about six o'clock. So, yeah. uh, and I, I was going to ask you, was there, um, I know there's labor laws now that if you have children, you can only work certain hours. Was it the same then? Yeah. Yeah. Back then it was, or was it just you know, understood? somewhat the same. Yeah. Those rules yeah. had already been uh, instigated and followed, uh, you know, like the three hours of schooling. Yeah. We could only work six hours a day. Uh, cumulatively speaking, we had to have an hour off for lunch. And we had to have the equivalent of another hour's worth of rest time. But, you know, while they're lighting the shot, which would take 10, 15 minutes, you know, so in the course of the day, you got that other hour, whether you liked it or not. It just wasn't an hour at a pop, you know. But, you know, it depended on the day. Some days I was in every single scene and it made it tough to get the schooling in. Yeah. The assistant director would be waiting literally right there at the school door and looking wow. at his watch. Yeah. The second that the- 15 <laughs> minutes passed, he'd yank me out of the class. And then there'd be other days where I might not even have a scene till noon or one o'clock. So I got all my schooling in and and then for the rest of the day, I'd, I'd be working. Yeah. So they, they knew how to plan it. I mean, very well so they could utilize your time, you know, very efficiently. I wanted to ask you with that period of time was one of the big curiosities, things that came up and you mentioned it with the three channels uh, on at that time. And it was very much a monoculture type. And one of the favorites, uh, my dad always told this joke that you had three channels to find something to watch. But if the president had something to say, your evening was shot. Yeah, that yep. was it. Well, they they took over all of it. Yeah. Actually, in yeah. the early days of TV, there was actually a fourth network. Uh, a lot of people aren't old enough to remember. Oh, there was also, the, yeah, uh, no, yeah, yeah, on YouTube, but it was yeah. the Dumont Channel. There the was Dumont, that okay. was the fourth fourth network, uh, yeah. and a lot of shows. You know, people back then didn't think Dumont was any different than ABC, NBC. It just it, it didn't have you know the letters, the characters. Didn't have any. It had oh, Dumont. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't ABC, you know, yeah. CBS, NBC. I mean, th- those had words too behind them. They weren't just letters. It was a national broadcasting company, the American Broadcasting Company, and uh, what was it, CBS, Columbia Broadcasting. Yeah. So Dumont, Dumont was just another channel back then. But I I think they petered out kind of in the mid-50s, and I don't know if they sold their shows to other networks or what happened. I was going to say, that's the first I've heard of it. Yeah, it was the and it was the first to go. <laughs> wow, uh, you know yeah. it's not like now the three majors are still there and became powerhouses. And, right, you know, a lot of those networks, you know, you would think, well, they were just TV. And the big in the old days, it was the studios that kind of ran the show and had all the yeah. prestige. But it's the studios that now have acquired the studios, you know, uh, right. CBS owns, owns Paramount, uh, Universal is NBC, 
right. you know, so yeah, they've all been engulfed and, and devoured. And, you know, ABC <laughs> is owned by Disney. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, right. yeah. No. Well, and then the studios, that's what caused their demise. They allowed themselves to be acquired by corporations. So uh, yeah. there you had people who were, you know, CEOs running, yeah. could be a cornflake company. Now you, you're owned by them. So you can imagine the kind of decisions that got made made back then that weren't necessarily the best for the studios and they suffered for that you know the, the guys who were in power i'm sure were rewarded financially but uh, it was gulf and western that bought uh, paramount right and uh, which... in fact people instead of gulf and western we used to call it a gulf engulf and devour is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but um which it's actually a good segue to the next question with that i mean in the monoculture world i mean you know when you have writing and i know you also own your own studio as well was there a, a noticeable difference in the writing and the acting at that time because you turn on you tune on um you tune into something now that you might see on MeTV or you might see on, um, you know, maybe Pluto. And it's almost like you could pick out some stories at that any given time. Like there's going to be yeah. something where the kid gets grounded or there's going to be something where mom and dad are having a bit of a fight or something seems very similar. Was yeah, I mean, there? right now we seem to be in the age where, it, you know, the episodes are threaded together in other words yeah. there are things that happen in an individual episode but there's an entire story arc for the entire season and then a story yeah. arc for the shore for the show yeah. depending how long it goes you know the era i came out you know the only thing that tethered it together was the cast uh right. you know, our shows didn't really branch out of each other the only time we had a little bit of that was when my brother came on the show and they decided he was a foster kid and we were going to adopt him. And, uh, you know, there were four or five episodes that sort of blended together. and were kind of like one giant episode. But for the most part, they were all individual, unique stories. And, you know, they featured one of the actors, whether it was Don Grady as Robbie or Katie or me mm. or Fred McMurray. You know, we rotated that. So everybody got a certain number of episodes that featured them. But the other support, you know, the other cast would be there as the supporting cast in that. We even had episodes that starred the dog, you know, Tramp. Right. There's an episode, and that's <laughs> actually my my very favorite episode of My Three Sons. Doesn't star any of the main cast members. It stars Tramp. Uh, it was an episode the first year called Small Adventure, where Tramp goes wandering around you know the town and brings back a stick of dynamite to the house and I it's one of the this. scariest yeah. you know, yeah. shows you've ever seen i mean we're supposed to yeah. be a, a situation comedy meanwhile you're hanging hanging on to your seat because it was pretty white knuckled you're waiting for that you know yeah. stick of dynamite to hit something it was percussive dynamite and just blow up blow up the whole show that would have been startling that would be right show ended on on the sixth episode when the dog rides the dynamite in the house and finished the show off it literally would have been the cliffhanger yeah yeah that would have been it that would have been a, a shocker that's the way some shows right. should go now this right. is the it's promise of that, 33 yeah. episodes but yeah. it ends in episode seven when the, the family dog brings some dynamite into the home <laughs> Wow, man. Now, I, mean, I know you moved on with it. And I mean, you're in some movies. And one of those I was really curious to know what your thoughts were was um, How the West Was Won. 
Yeah, that was a big longer. deal for me. Yeah. Mainly, I mean, as a kid, because the whole reason I wanted to be an actor, I mean, when I got started, you know, my first recollections of TV were all these cowboy shows were on yeah. there. Yeah. And I wanted to be in there and I, you know, I wanted to wear a cowboy outfit and I wanted to shoot a gun and ride a horse. Yeah. And um, that kind of almost never happened for me. All my friends were getting, once I got started as an actor, I thought, well, this would be good. I'm in fact, I thought I started out great when the very first things I did was a Roy Rogers uh, toy commercial yeah. with Roy Rogers. It was yeah. a toy lariat and... So I, I thought, man, this is this is going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to be spending the lariat for the rest of my life and hanging out with Roy Rogers. And anyway, I did that, and then I just never got cast in in a western uh, again for you know years. Like all my friends, you know, went in up a wagon train and Laramie and have done will travel and yeah. gun smoke, you know. Meanwhile, you know, I'm I'm doing Lassie or you know some show like that, right? And I, I just thought it was so unfair, and my my dream got shot down until uh -huh. about 1963. I my agent got a call, and by then I was you know a pretty well known kid actor. I was the star of a TV series, and the uh, director, uh, one of the directors of How the West Is One, asked to see me, and I went in and met with him, and then got hired to. Uh, got hired to do how the west is one which at the time yeah i was so happy because i i figured i'd be riding you know horses and shooting guns i didn't get to do that too much on screen but off screen i was getting to shoot guns and you know ride off into the hills with the you know other stunt guys and uh, the guys that had the horse and the trainers and stuff like that so i got my my fill of that and i, and I could ride a horse pretty well i had horseback riding lessons yeah. when i was like six seven years old besides swimming my mom wanted me to know how to ride a horse so yeah i was i was pretty good so i was really through i worked on that for about three months and uh you know it just was the highlight of, of my life to that point and uh, you know i thought i would get more westerns i i didn't you know uh actually i could have left my three sons i guess it was the 12th season like don did don didn't come back and um, i had the option of not coming back and I didn't know what to do. And then uh, my agent called and I had an offer from, what the heck was, oh, it was the Virginian. And they were going to write a new character in and they wanted me to do the part. And I thought, wow, this could be good because, well, number one, my little fantasy of being a cowboy. Number two, I thought, well, you know, I'll be seen a different way. I, I you know, won't be Chip Douglas. I'm going to be whatever, some kind of wild cowboy character in that. And... But then when push came to shove, I, I, I felt really uh, guilty leaving the show, you know, that really solidified my career. I mean, you know, I didn't know that at the time, but, you know, it wouldn't make any difference if I turned into George Lucas and had thought of Star Wars tomorrow and made Star Wars and it became right. a big hit. The only thing it's going to say on my epitaph was the guy that played Chip Douglas on My Three Sons. That's what it's going to say no matter what I do. So, um, yeah, I just i couldn't do it you know so i ended up turning turning that part down and somebody else got it and the irony was my three sons ended up it only went one more year the 12th season and virginian would have ended uh they did one more year so either way i would have been ungainfully employed unemployed <laughs> man i know so you know you never know how anything's gonna run you know or i don't know maybe if i get on the show somehow 
not do anything I would have done, but maybe it would have gone two years or three years more, you know, if they could have come up with a good character uh, and all that. But uh, yeah, I would have been, yeah. if I wasn't in that situation, I definitely would have taken that. Well, I had that once before too, um, yeah. right at the time where I was up for my three sons, which was based upon the producer seeing this TV pilot that I starred in, in 1958, that didn't sell, it was called Skippy. And the producer and director of it was Jackie Cooper, who was a big, huge child actor outside of uh, Shirley Temple. Yeah. There was Jackie Cooper. Jackie Cooper has uh, done a ton of directing, too. Uh, oh, a lot of directing. Yeah. yeah. And he was yeah. probably about 30 years old at this point. And that's yeah. kind of what he was doing, had his own TV show. Right. And I met him and somehow he saw something of himself in me and decided to remake this as a series, this movie that he starred in, I think it was in 1934, uh, called Skippy, and for which he was, he won an Academy Award. He's the youngest person still in a leading role uh, to be nominated for an Academy Award. So, you know, I was honored to work with him. And of course I knew who he was because being a kid, I knew who the little rascals were, which he was also one of those. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, the pilot didn't sell, but it was kind of became a showpiece for me to show to other producers and directors what I could do. Because I was literally name above the title star. Um, I literally was on screen 90 percent of the time and half the dialogue was mine. So and, you know, I had some emotional stuff in there where I had to cry and do all kinds of things. So it was it was a good showpiece. And based on that, uh, the producers seeing that's how I got my three sons. I got you know hired, literally the next day. Wow. But um, yeah, the problem was I was also up for a movie <laughs> at that time. Oh man! Which which I wanted to do. I didn't want to do the series because besides being a cowboy, this would have probably been my other dream come true. They were remaking Huckleberry uh, Finn. And uh, this was been nineteen. It was around in nineteen fifty nine, and it was to go into production, probably sometime in nineteen sixty. And I think originally they weren't considering me because it was going to be a musical, and they decided oh, okay. not to make it a musical. And I was back in the running again, and they wanted me, so I had a, I had to make a choice, and yeah. uh, you know. The choice wasn't going to be mine. I'm like a, you know, by then a nine year old kid. So it was my basically my agent's choice. My parents didn't know what to do either. And uh, they, you know, for my vote, I wanted to be Huckleberry Finn. And my agent, I'm sure, in her own self interest, thought, well, if he does the movie, you know, that's yeah. great. He'll be in the movie theater for three months and then he, he's out of there and who knows what comes right. next. Yeah. You do a TV series starring Fred McMurray. Uh, well, right from the get go, you're making 39 episodes. So you're going to get paid 39 times. Right. And there's the likelihood it might go on to a second, third series with Fred McMurray's involvement in it. And she thought that was the the better of the two choices. So that's well, the way logical. it went. But they did do Huckleberry Finn, and a guy I know, Eddie Hodges, ended up uh, being Huckleberry Finn. You know, and yeah, it would have been fun to do that. I, I wouldn't have cared if I was even Tom Sawyer, and I right. just the whole idea of being on a river and having a raft—that <laughs> that sounded great. And just enjoying your time. I mean, definitely that 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 <clears throat> that gets me thinking too, because it's like, what would have been, or what would the trajectory been? You were in this movie, and then. It seems like My Three Sons really was the building block for a lot of stuff there. 
Yeah, that was the, uh, the goose that laid the golden egg, man. You yeah. know, most TV series lasted three, four, five, five years, maybe seven mm -hmm. if you're out. You know, super, super, super lucky. Right. We had no idea it was going to get renewed for 12 seasons and run for 12 years. And yeah. um, then it was going to be the mega hit that it was. Um, it probably would have been a hit anyway, but with yeah. Ben McMurray's involvement, it gave it a, a certain prestige, you know, with yeah. the networks that they uh, had gotten an actor the caliber of Fred McMurray to agree to star in a TV series it was was unheard of back then. You know, yeah. basically it was actors who had had maybe a superlative uh, career in the motion picture industry. And yeah, maybe it's waning a little bit and they decide to try their luck at TV. But yeah, Fred right. had just come off the K-Mutiny, the apartment, the absent-minded professor, the shaggy dogs. So his career right. was at its apex when he consciously decided i want to do a tv series and he had his own reasoning and his own motivation for doing it he his wife and he had adopted uh twins uh katie and laurie and he you know he wanted to spend more time with his with his children and not go away on location for three to six months at a pop so from Damn. that wow. standpoint yeah it was a very practical choice he could go to work at eight in the morning and be done by five six o'clock be home spend the evening have the weekends off and the way the show was constructed uh, it allowed him to go away for the summers while us slaves uh, continued to toil all summer long shooting all the scenes he wasn't in so yeah. that's the way we shot my three sons and i wanted to ask you about your transitioning through that because you know now you got into writing you also did some writing with music with hairspray um and other stuff i mean what was mm -hmm. the if there was a titular point but was there a point where you said i've got to transition to this now or i've got i've got to do yeah different? but i was just very interested in production i guess when i was about 16 17 you know i bought a camera and i was cutting shooting cutting super hate film together but i just thought you know i better take this more seriously uh, in case i don't make it as an actor Right. But it may be that I just consciously don't really want to continue in that direction. And uh, so it was a great place to be because on, on our set, there were all these old timers who, you know, you could just go, oh, well, it's just a TV crew. But a lot of those guys, like the cinematographers, were, you know, pretty big movie cinematographers in their day. And a couple of them that were, had won Academy Awards, the editors wow. had won Academy Awards. So, you know, they're at the, you know, fading out point of their lives and took series work so they could have something to do and continue to practice what they had learned. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I you know, would go and talk to the camera guys and, and found out as much as I could about cameras and lenses, and film, film stock and processing it and, you know, what you could do with it, what its limitations were. And then I started taking uh, some classes in college uh, to kind of, in fact, the guy that ran the camera department at CBS was the guy that taught my cinema class in college. Wow. So Peter, guy named Peter Gibbons. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, you know, seeing the people that I'm working with, they're also teaching the classes. And I was there to be a sponge to learn as much as I could about that. And you know, not just the cameras and shooting it and yeah. why the camera goes here. Are there any shortcuts or why this, why that? But, you know, I also learned how to edit. You know, in those days we were editing film on movieolas. Um, and then you're, you're production stuff. You had to splice the 
Like, yeah, you had to splice the film splice together. Splice the film in. Right. Yeah. Try not to let the movie all and give it new perfs. Yeah. <laughs> it, it eats up yeah. your film. Yeah. Um, I can remember yeah, so, that in high school, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Just, yeah, even at the college, they only had 16. Yeah. When I was in high school, I mean, we had to hook up two VCRs and just hope that it came out correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there wasn't any kind of exact cutting because there was no frames in videotape. Right, yeah. You know, videotape looked like this promising thing. I remember, yeah. you know, well, if they had it, you know, in broadcast, things were being taped. So that was the difference. Uh, unless you're a series that still shot on film, which My Three Sons was shot on film. Right. And then, you know, would be converted to videotape so it could be distributed. But, uh, yeah, you know, videotape looked like it had promise. But, you know, if you look back at some of the old shows, uh, you know, way before My Three Sons, like Twilight Zone, yeah. there's some of those that weren't filmed that were actually videotaped. No, you can tell yeah. immediately they're so yeah. flat looking. There's no depth of field. And they just had an oddly sharp look to yeah. them. Where you know we strived all this time, all these decades to get to high def and then 4K, and you're going, gee, that looks just like video tape back in 1952. It is so sharp, you know. And yeah. you know, fortunately, we have the lenses, so you can kind of you know you deal with that or along. do things yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, digitally do do things to it to kind of knock it down, so it's not quite like that. Right. But um, yeah, just you know all the different uh, technologies that came and went. You know, from working. And wasn't there in... something that a lot of the studios tried? If, if my memory's right, didn't they try to push towards videotape just because it was cheaper than film? Or they did, but none of the film people would have it. You know, it just yeah. was not going to be. And and just like now, you know, guys like Clint Eastwood and Steven Spielberg. Are, they're they're still shooting on film. You know? One take, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Scorsese, yeah. yeah, they're yeah. still. I mean, the film, you know, the developing companies and processing companies are around to serve them. That's about yeah. it, because everybody else is being, you know, forced to move into the digital realm. But the digital realm now is kind of it's okay. You know, it's not like it was a long time ago. Uh, you know, where it was just videotape and then digital videography came along. And then, uh, you know, with the various chips, it's the resolution, and it, you know, is, oh, is up there with film. That's right. back. I think it could probably surpass film, but that's again another look. And was that really the look you want? Just you know, to see inside of people's pores on their skin on the right, skin. yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. not necessarily a good look. <laughs> film just has its own look. That's what it is, and and so does digital. It's. Uh, you know, film has the resolution and a sharpness, but it also has this thing that that it's not inherently there in if you're shooting digitally. So if you're shooting, you know, in 4K or 5K, 6K, um, you sort of have to induce this afterwards. But there's a thing in film called bokeh, and that's this haze. Bokeh? <laughs> that even though bokeh, B O. Okay. K K E H, I think, is how it's okay. spelled. But okay. it's a term that defines this look, and it's yeah. like a milky, soft look. Even though it's super, super sharp, it's still knocked down to a certain degree. And film has that where the digital doesn't. It's like razor sharp. And if you want that, you've got to find some kind of software that'll give you the, the look of film, which is, like I said, it's the distinction of having this look to it called bokeh. And okay. bokeh is the distinction in my eye. I mean, maybe in other people's eyes, it doesn't. 
but you know you can i can immediately tell if it was shot in film because uh, if there's that soft you know white oh i see little haze yeah okay it's, it's okay i'm really following simple. you now okay so so subtle yeah. that you yeah. don't you don't see it when you shoot you know when you shoot in digital it's just not there unless you put it in in post-production you know there, there yeah. are apps and uh, software that that can do that or they have software that can emulate you know any of the film stocks you know whether you're shooting in eastman kodak or you're shooting in fuji if you want a film stock from 1970 right. yeah. something that's running at 100 200 asa it gives it a, a particular look so that's the good thing with the digital is you can shoot in what's called flat meaning it's when you see the image after you shot flat you go oh man what a piece of crap it just kind of this washed out looking thing but yeah. everything is there, and then you bring it back in the post-production process. It, and you can build actually, up from there. Yeah, yeah, you're looking okay. at, oh, I made a mistake yeah. somehow. Where, had that been filmed and you made that mistake, it's baked in. Can, where, okay. Yeah, mo most of the companies are shooting flat, and then gotcha. everything is being done in post-production. You've yeah. gathered okay. everything you need to have there to make it look any number of ways. So, And you can decide later. That's the one thing you can do. Gotcha. Uh, so, oh. yeah. So it's yeah. you know the technology, like I said, is yeah. come a long way from what it was as yeah. to what you can do. And you know, to shoot and film is very, yeah. very expensive. That's the reason most people don't do it. The cost of the film, the cost of processing film, right. you know, and then you need film that you can edit. But most films, even if you shot on film, they're you know digitized and now you're you're into the world of uh, you know video editing digital video editing so gotcha. and then at the end once you got it you go back and you conform the film and that's you know what you edited on the on the in, in digitally and you go back and then you cut the film that becomes your master so wow. and then you can make prints off of that but that's just to keep it you know because who knows I think film will be around for a long time because it's probably the best way to, to archive, you know, any kind of product. You know, if you've shot a film, the best way to preserve that film is on film. They know it'll last a hundred years. Who cares? Right. Uh, uh, you yeah. know, sitting on a hard drive, who knows what's really going to happen? <laughs> Some of those. Right. True. It's going to be true. gone. And yeah, a life will go wave or something will happen or short circuit, blow out a fire or anything. Yeah, like yeah, you don't know what it is. Yeah. I've got a couple of hard drives that I know have stuff on them. I can't get them open anymore, and they work no. perfect. Last time I was in there, they just no. don't want to open them. It, it got me thinking, too. It's like my, my mom handed me a flip phone. And she mm -hmm. said, you get these pictures off this flip phone. Yeah, and It took me four hours to actually figure out how to do that. Yeah, you get to get yeah, you need to do that. Their... Yeah, do you think? Well, that's like with video. I I don't keep anything on a computer. It goes immediately into a hard drive, and then I back up that hard drive <laughs> just right. in case. Yeah, you know, and now, you probably back technology? it up again and yeah, send it out of state to a good friend or someplace so a tornado won't hit your house and take everything away. Right now, do you think technology is really going so quick? you know and updating and updating itself so much that the film industry might have trouble keeping up well it's just going in different directions you know i, I don't know what's going to be there you know talk about like ai you know i, I AI, don't know how yeah, does, I mean, how I does ai yeah, write, yeah. write a script unless it's yeah. like you know the most generic script 
I guess it can write, I'll leave it to Beaver or my three sons. Yeah. So, you know, whether it could do a piece of art film yeah. like uh, Goodfellas. I mean, how, yeah. how is AI going to know how Joe Pesci is going to be? Right. I mean, we've done a few. I've experimented with AI and said, can you write a scene from this movie as if it was this? And it always came out extremely generic to me. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And, you know, that's, yeah. that's what film is, is the idiosyncrasies right. uh, that the actors bring to it. So how do you bake that in, you know? Right. Tell it to be more, you know, Joe Pesci-like or be more like John Wayne-ish. I, I don't know. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, the technical side, it seems yeah. like those could keep advancing. I, I, you know, cameras could be smaller and lighter, but then... You know, even when you worked with that, you know, I got you get used to a certain format or footprint of camera. Yeah. You know, which is you know for years it's it's either on a tripod oh, or it's up bolt, here. The shoulder and then suddenly the camera is like this this little. Yeah. You can't put that on your shoulder. Yeah. You can't hold that in front of yourself. So how does that all work? You know, I, I some of the things I remember I shot some stuff. I had a thirty-five millimeter. Uh, uh, that's it, a Canon, I guess it was uh 5d anyway it, uh it was just you know i just felt weird <laughs> this is my yeah. my camera and then you know you're, you got another thing over here for your or sound of, it's not yeah yeah or just or that yeah, I mean, you, yeah well you can get a, a phone like that black magic makes one like that yeah. so but it's shooting 4k or 5k and it's yeah. got the little little bit this bigger than too. some of the yeah, yeah right yeah. right and I mean, those, I think you can do it. What it really comes down to, the image you can get, you're trying to make a film or something professional where the problem is, is you can't just go shoot anything. You have to light it. Yeah. You have to be able to control the lighting because that's what really makes or breaks it. And even more importantly, how are you going to get that sound? That mic is not going to be the same thing as having a, you know, a $2,000 Sheps microphone. Right. This is not, doesn't sound like that. So if you have separate sound, and just recording that as a reference track, but actually acquiring your sound on some other system, you know, like a sound design system that's yeah. going to be three, four, five thousand dollars with a five thousand dollar micro. I'm, I'm telling it's a lot easier to get the image. What isn't easy is getting production quality sound. Uh, I'm convinced of that, and that's almost more important than the image. People forgive the image a little bit, but yeah. they won't sound forgive the image of it sounds like you shot it with a radio shack microphone right you, you know you, yeah. you know the best movie in the world but if you got a crappy microphone and right like yeah. that, you're going yeah. who cares like yeah. you know i don't yeah. want to hear this. i immediately think of singing in the rain immediately yeah. where gene kelly's trying to capture it and the microphone's here on the girl or the yeah. same thing that just they, they can't get it right i i, I agree with you and i mean one of the well, that's the reason the studios, like when they do, you know, big movies and just chase scenes, that's yeah. why they shut down the freeway. Right. You know, it's partially yeah. so they can get the shot they want, but you you would need to control the sound so you're not getting all this other stuff baked into your soundtrack, you know, when you're acquiring it. That's the problem. Yeah, I can play like, I can, Yeah, I, I get that. And I mean, one, one thing I'm just really fascinated with talking to you about this is it seems like there's so much that you have learned and you said you went to college, but you've really seemed to have studied this and really mastered a lot of it. And I mean, do you pass this on to other people or mentor people in your company to do this too? 
Uh, well, somebody asked me, I certainly help. But, you know, if you have your own company, it certainly helps to know other people's jobs because some of the things oh, can sure. be, you know, it's like, hey, I'm, I, I need to shoot this thing. Okay, I need a guy to mix the sound to, you know, acquire it. But also I'm going to need a boom man. But, you know, you go, well, anybody can run a boom. No, they can't. No. <laughs> jobs. Are, I'm shooting something. I look at the guy who's the boom man. I'll look over and here's the boom. And it, instead of being like this, it's kind of like over here. Yeah, and I remember I walk it. up and I go, you got to bring this around. I go to right there, even though it's out of frame. Yeah. But if you're off axis with a microphone, you can hear that. Back, oh, it's, I, had the, it's I did an experiment yeah. for the guy. I said, here, yeah. listen to the difference. You know, while yeah. there's nothing else going on, I had the actor talk. And I go, now watch what happens when you let it drift even this much off, like six inches off like that. It it changes and it's not you know what oh. you really want it to be, but yeah, you know. So there's just all these little things, or you know, it used to drive me crazy too with framing, camera framing, composition. And uh, I shot something once, and the camera guy was driving me crazy. It's like his idea of what composition was was <laughs> wasn't what mine was, and I had to keep you know going over, you know, kind of telling cute inch to the right to the right to the right okay because he would have some guy like this and yeah. i'm like no he should be you know yeah. kind of more back backed here. up yeah 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 so, so the, he's looking so the shot, you know, yeah. that way not yeah. necessarily with his nose touching yeah, yeah, yeah. looking that way at the same so time. he's totally you know what you really need right. to do yeah, yeah but there's a you know a way to train people to do that i said look i know you're cameraman and yes there's the technical side of that but there also is the artistic side of that and part of it well all of it is the lighting <laughs> you know yeah. if i light something i turn off all the lights and start with a single light and then get that and one set and i go and then yeah. build it up yeah and then yeah. you know, get a light behind so you get like a rim yeah. lighting you know on the back of the head and you know those things don't sound like they mean much but it's kind of the distinction oh, between really... something being really good yeah. or yeah. Or just, you know, mediocre. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's all, but I, I would always tell people, look, go to an art museum. It's it's the best way to learn composition. Because whether, look at some paintings where there's a single person in the painting. Now go look at one where there's two. Now three. Look at it if there's outdoor or is it indoor. Where's the lighting source coming from? Because those guys, will, you know, in the painting, they're accurate. You know, if there's lighting coming through yeah. the window and that's the only thing lighting the subject. Well, yeah. on film, you got to have that, too. You know, why is a guy near a window and there's light coming here? But now there's a big light. What is there, like a car in the living room or something on the other side with the headlights off? What the hell is that supposed to say? Get that light off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, man. Yeah. So <laughs> part of it, now, you know, some of it just comes down to taste, too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you you you. You know, if you want to be somewhat artistic, you, there are rules, just like in right. anything. And that, my suggestion is go to the art museum and look what the great masters did. That's you know, that's really why they're masters. Point. You'll learn lighting. Yeah. You'll learn composition. Of, go, if there's wow. one, two, or three people yeah. in it, you yeah. know, how he has them positioned. And you yeah. might want to remember that or take some notes. I could see. I could. That's actually, I, I've got to go to an art museum soon. They clearly listeners can't see this, but I mean, I'm struggling with lighting myself just so we could talk face to face. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just buy one of these. I don't use it anymore, but yeah. Oh, use a ring light. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a ring light. That works. Oh, okay. I, 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 
I have just one of these. Yeah. This is it. It goes on top of my camera for this. But, you know, I can. It's doing perfect. Oop, yeah. I can dial it down. I can dial yeah. it up. Yeah. Uh, I can better. I can change the color temperature. Yeah. So it goes from warm to light. You, you know, yeah, yeah, you know. Oh, wow. Like, this is simple. It's just looking at me. So it doesn't really have to be anything sophisticated. But, oh, you know, it, it can be that simple. And that that is the beauty of digital cameras. You don't yeah. need lighting. You can light it with a you know a cigarette lighter over yeah. here, and that can be very effective. Where in the old days when we're shooting on my three sons, you know, you're in a in a studio where there is no light. It's pitch black. You turn the lights off, so you have to start with well at least the house lights so you can not go get a light and not trip and fall down. Right. But when they're lighting, you know, you start somewhere. But because the film was so slow back in those days, it was like 25 ASA, 50 ASA, which is like nothing. So yeah. be all these, you know, 5K, 10K lights laying around just to light like the living room and lots of them, you yeah. know, to get them directed where you wanted. So you don't have to do that anymore. I mean, the amount of power that took and the amount of air conditioning needed because of the heat output of those things. It's like right. this thing here. Yeah, I have my hand right on here. It's cool light. You know, you wow. don't have to worry about heating up wow. a, a room, you know, or turning air conditioning on. So th those are beautiful. Yeah, if you get those, uh, what's that company? I can't think of the name of it. They make those, they're like a square or they make them one by two light panels. And, oh, you know, they have like maybe a thousand yeah. little diodes in there, but they're, you know, really made under high quality control. But you can set whatever color temperature you want all the way, you know, from 56K down to 30, 32K. So you're going from very warm to yeah. outdoor lighting, blue lighting. Um, and uh, no heat output whatsoever and quite a bit of light. And, you know, if you make, they probably make them by now. I used to make my own barn door so I could direct the light or make a hood for it to a certain degree so it wouldn't spill. I, I mean, those are, uh, I don't know if you're rewinding all this technical. <laughs> we're in, man. We're, that, we're totally that's, in. I'm just, I'm uh, absorbing uh, it and loving uh, it. I'm in. That's been my life, unfortunately, because, yeah. uh, you know, being in production or editing, that's a whole yeah. other thing. You know, this, no, this is my, so cool, man. My it's editing great. bay, it's yeah. like, it's just a world of wires behind it. And they're going to be connected up exactly the right way. Every time I pull that thing out to go do yeah. something or fix something or install something, I go, God, I hope I never have to install these wires again because I, I don't. Man. I'm so old now. I don't know if I'd remember where they went. No, yeah. the mean, world of wires. Yeah, I can understand with that. And one other question I did have for you, and um, we I would see you're at a point in your career. I mean, things are really big, and you know, you have um, you have your wife Paula, which I think you're just about or just almost to your eight year anniversary, aren't you? uh yeah we're coming up it's hard to yeah. believe yeah we got married 2015 although we've been together yeah. since 1995 so we, we've been together a long time man. yeah yeah that's, that's great that's just great 28 years yeah. of, of each other and, yeah you know, my wife yeah, she's and a, I, yeah. an attorney yeah dang man. it makes it interesting yeah criminal <laughs> defense attorney so can imagine a criminal that's like. defense attorney yeah 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 she's criminal defense Man. Yeah, yeah. Oh She's wow! Pretty well known in Orange yeah. County, LA, LA. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, Empire. Curious question on that one. Like, do you guys have you ever watched like Law and Order or Criminal Intent or one of those? And she goes, "That's not right at all." 
she does. Yeah, she yeah. she watches. Them. I don't watch them, but yeah. she does. And they go, that would never happen like that. The right. Judge would never agree to that. That right. uh, what they call a defense attorney. If they did that, they'd probably get disbarred, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, at the very least sanctioned. Uh, she's right. watching the whole Trump thing with with his set of imbeciles yeah. that are representing him. Go, you know, if I did that, I would yeah. be. You'd be done. Disbarred or financially, oh, yeah, you'd be yeah. sanctioned, you know, or yeah. I don't, you know, you'd lose your bar license. Uh, you imagine clearly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. I, uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. The, it's just like the movie industry. Yeah. Over time, you learn what to do and what not yeah. to do. Yeah, and what not <laughs> to do. You learn by doing. <laughs> I get you. I get you, man. As long as I've been doing this, I can always say, I always learn new things. You go, well, I learned something today. I'll and, never do that again. And what know? beautiful thing. What a beautiful place to be. You know, yeah, yeah. what a beautiful place to be. Because it's a, the world is so much easier, I, I feel, when you you, know, you say you don't know everything. No, you you're don't. Always so because good as soon as you think you do, you're in trouble because something yeah. will happen that yeah. you didn't know about or something changed you hadn't heard about. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's crazy. Agree. So completely agree it's got to be open to everything and you know even having people who haven't been in the business longer than you have had some experience you didn't have that you know can serve you well if you're open to it and i we do want to end with this one last thing here um at least while we're here with it what is and i always like ending an interview with this what is your best life advice for listeners well, my best life uh, for listeners, uh, or you know, anyone, because people want to, you know, be actors or in in the entertainment industry, uh, is a project I'm actually working on now. It's been I've been working on this thing off and on for probably ten years. Anyway, it's getting ready to come up in a new iteration. But uh, I created this program for actors uh, that's not focused on acting. <laughs> You can get that anywhere. It doesn't matter where you live. Uh, there's always an acting school around to start at. Sure. And then there's colleges, universities, yeah. or Yale or Harvard or the actor studio. What seems to be the problem, and I saw this for decades, and you know, once you're you've done it as long as I have, you're really, really aware of it. But you see other people who are really good actors that just can't really seem to find a path into the industry. And they... And, you know, you can't really be there to shepherd them, but there's things that they're either making mistakes or they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing, uh, or they'll find out about something. It's complete BS. And uh, so I created a program on the business side of being an actor, uh, what I call the non-performance skills needed. And it's a a 10-hour long program. Uh, It's not taught by me, uh, although I'm in it. Uh, it's taught by 100 industry people. I brought together uh, 100 wow. people, uh, actors. Not not all of them are actors. In fact, there's probably about half actors. The rest are directors, producers, agents, managers, uh, executive producers, um, casting directors, uh, the president of the Screen Actors Guild, the president of the Directors Guild of America. Yeah. And they teach a program on the business side of being an actor, which is all the stuff you should be doing when you're not acting, yeah. which in the beginning of your career, you're going to be doing very little of anyway. You spend, you know, even even when your career gets going, you're spending 90% of your time on, on the business of being an right. actor and trying to 
trying to understand the industry and trying to, you know, find ways into it or how to leverage it to your advantage. So, yeah, we cover about 60, 65 topics. And uh, it kind of presumes you're, you know, new to the industry, but there's people that have been in the industry for years that still don't know what they're doing, really. That's what I found right. out making this thing. Yeah. So this really covers it, soup to nuts. And, you know, for actors that avail themselves of this information, they can learn what it took an actor 30 years to learn in, you know, a 10 wow. hour program. They can sit there and watch the whole 10 hours or watch it a couple of times, maybe over the course of a week and then go out and apply it. And, you know, you'll, you'll be so far ahead of the game compared to everybody else. I mean, it's hard to, to do. It's hard enough to do when you know what you're doing, but when you really don't know what you're doing, it's a real problem. And it's, it's just like any other business in that there's always two components involved. You know, yeah. there's usually with something, a creative side to it. And then there's always the business idea. You know, for instance, a restaurant you can be the greatest yeah. chef in the world. Have at it. You right. Know? Yeah. But if you don't know how to run a restaurant, yeah. Yeah. And you're, <laughs> that's your business. Well, you're out of business. And, right. You know, very yeah. shortly. Because yeah, people get take advantage of you yeah. and you don't know what you're doing or there's licenses you need or some you don't need, but you wasted your money and now you're in financial trouble. Same thing in the entertainment industry. You know, there's a lot of this stuff that's just not discussed. It's not really uh, taught at the university level or colleges. You know, their idea of teaching the business is, okay, get a reel, get a resume, uh, try and get into Screen Actors Guild, try and get an agent. Well, if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. And some of those things are putting the cart before the horse. And if you do them in the wrong... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, if you do them at the wrong time, they can be detrimental to your career, you know. Everybody wants to run right out and become a Screen Actors Guild member. Well, you find out, you know, you got a part and you had a chance to join the Guild because of it, but that was your first job. Well, maybe you shouldn't join because you're going to find out what's going to be more open to you as a beginning actor's non-union work. And once you sign on the dotted line and fork over, it's probably north of three grand by now in fees to join the Screen Actors Guild, you can't do non-union films because if they find out about it, they throw you out of the union and you can't come back in. So you don't want to make that mistake. Yeah. And there's, you know, like a hundred other mistakes that are just like this. So the whole idea I had was to bring like a hundred people together that have been doing this for 20 to 30 years. uh, So you can basically acquire their sage advice. 50 of these people have been nominated for or won Academy Emmy Golden Globe Awards. So they're recognized by the industry were endorsed by most of the with the unions and stuff like that because of what it is and because of the people involved in it so uh, anyway it's going to be up again <laughs> very shortly it used to be a dvd program yeah. and we did pretty well with it uh anyway so it's going to be streaming media i'm hoping to have it up uh what are we at where can we see it probably and end of june uh there'll be a website called theactorsjourney.com it's okay. offline right now because we just finished building the website, but it's offline. But that'll take you to where the video is that you'll be watching. Um, but we do have, if you go to YouTube, you can see some of the people that are involved in the program. I put up, I think, about 50 different clips. Uh, and, yeah, there's you know, some probably good information there, too. So if you go to YouTube, we have a The Actor's Journey uh, channel there. So if you go to The Actor's Journey channel on YouTube, you know, you can kind of see what we're doing. Some of the people Wonderful. that are involved, but there's 
a ton more in in the actual project. And it yeah, pretty affordable. You know, it's a project. I mean, originally we were selling it for like when it was DVD two hundred and forty dollars. So it's wow. like half of that now because we don't have to manufacture DVDs. We right. have to ship them. Yeah. It's all streaming. And you know, if you can't afford the whole program, because I know you know people starting out or financially, you know, sometimes having a tough time. But you can study the program a little bit at a time. Like we tell you, you can either do it in gulps or bites. <laughs> and the bites are we have you can actually watch the segments that comprise the 65 segments. So if you want to do it that way, you know, it's going to cost three to five bucks a segment. So feel yeah, that anybody can, that. can afford that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, if you like yeah. what you see, then you can bump up to the next level where it's uh, an eight volume set. So you can, you know, you didn't have to buy all eight volumes at once. You can just buy one of the volumes. But if you're in a, in a rush and want to get going, then you buy the whole thing. And like I said, considering most people have just spent, Anywhere from five to a hundred thousand dollars becoming an actor. Uh, that's a mere pittance. You're going to spend more money getting your headshots done if you're still you know, out there actually having a professional right. photographer do your headshots, are going to cost a lot more than this program. Dang. But yeah, you can't uh, do it without it. You're yeah. just wasting your time and spinning yeah. your wheels. Anyway, I got sick of seeing that and decided to do something about it. And I think that's hopefully it'll be my legacy. Besides my three sons, I hope that's my legacy. <laughs> no, I mean, any ways to build and make it easier, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I mean, that's the, the world that we live in now. Um, I think it's awesome. I mean, Stanley, uh, Mr. Livingston, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing this wisdom. I've just been soaking all this in. This is amazing. And really just a wonderful thing and i appreciate you coming on to the show for us and i hope everybody who appreciates us our demographic is and especially i know my dad's listening right now and he's kind of just like you got stan <laughs> oh my gosh man that's great <laughs> we'll say hi to him for me oh and please do his name is brian yeah, you can say hi to him right now hey brian thanks very much for being a fan all oh, those years. A little bit, we, we need all the fans we can get hopefully you're like steve douglas i, I got a hunch you probably were <laughs> he does <laughs> so sir i really appreciate your time and i want to thank yeah. steve joiner for also introducing me and really making sure that everything's great um yeah. so you could stick around just for a moment we're just going to wrap up I just yeah, want to no personally problem. say about you here. So um, for all of us here in Movie Theater Time Machine, uh, we really appreciate it. Always we say, be good and take care of yourself, but don't be too good. And we'll catch you next time. And you can see all of us and more on MovieTheaterTimeMachine.com.